Hey, Venture, it's great to see you here. I hope you've had an incredible week, and it's just good to be together to worship in this place today. Hey, um, the bag. What's up with the bag, Stan? Listen, you guys have no idea. It's exhausting sometimes to walk from there to up here. And I thought, I just need to pack a bag, maybe a drink, maybe some snacks to get me from there to here. I'm kidding. It works with what I'm talking about today. We're going to be in round two of our series. It's called Chasing. If you were here last week, we kicked off a book study through ancient wisdom. This is the kind of wisdom that your grandparents, your great-grandparents would respect. Just good old-fashioned 3,000-year-old wisdom from God's Word. Ecclesiastes. Chasing. There's a reason why we're doing this today, why we're doing it during this season. We talked about this last week. Let me remind you real quick. There's two words. First word is the word depletion. This has been the season that we've all been through. That's not, there it is, the word deplete. So we've been through this the last two years, right? It just feels like depletion. And whether it's a workout, whether it's a bank account, you can't live there for long because you've got to follow depletion up with, what's the other word? Replenish. You deplete, then you replenish. This should be a healthy cycle. So what we're doing during these seven weeks is we're seeking to pour some wisdom into us. Let's replenish our hearts. Let's replenish our souls to go after the energy that we need to pour it back out again. This is the circle of life. Deplete and replenish. Today. Today is all about seeking. Uh, One of the words that uh, we're going to look at is the word pleasure. This is the topic today, seeking pleasure. Some of you guys and gals, you know where I'm going with this. How many of you are golfers? Let me see your hands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see some hands out there. Those of you who are going to critique my my swing here. Uh, I'm not much of a golfer. I mean... I like to golf, but I'm not great at it. I, uh, I could choose a different word to talk about today based on this. Uh, I pulled this out of my bag, my golf bag, yesterday. Found this old putter. And uh, honestly, what I should be talking about today is the word hoarding. Why? Because I pulled uh, a sleeve of golf balls out of my golf bag. Uh, I had to blow the top of the bag, the dust off of it, uh, sawdust all over it. I like to do projects in my garage. And to get into the bag that held the golf balls, pull this out. It says WBGL. It's a logo. That's the Christian radio station, my first ministry, Central Illinois. It says the Pastors Tournament, Woodlawn Golf Course, (laughs) 1998. This is older than all of my kids. So I've got three of these. I've been hanging on to these. That kind of shows you my quality caliber of golfing. But I do enjoy it. I like getting out and hanging out on the golf course, chasing pleasure outside in God's creation. Some of you, you can relate to that. I talked about John D. Rockefeller last week. This is uh, like a a business magnate from years ago. Uh, He had a lot. Right? Like at one point, his entire like, fortune was like 1% of the entire GDP of the country. Like he, he had 
a lot. He owned like 90% of all the railroads or oil or whatever it was that he was into. He was qualified to make this statement. He said, I can think of nothing less pleasurable than a life devoted exclusively to pleasure. If this is all we're chasing, does this leave us just a bit wanting? Well, according to the writer of Ecclesiastes, 3,000-year-old wisdom, that's true. We'll examine today what God's Word has to say about the vacuous nature of our own desires and how they ultimately fail to deliver on what they promise. I mean, we think that this is going to fill us up, and it does temporarily, but after a bit, like the writer of Ecclesiastes says, it's chasing after the wind. We live in a world that has us deceived. Those things that we think will satisfy us, they in fact cannot They'll frustrate us. They'll oftentimes leave us wanting more. And then if we follow it to its own conclusion, sometimes they can even make us sick the more and more that we chase them. The more that we indulge in the things of the earth, the more we discover that, well, they've fallen under God's curse because of sin. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at that ancient story in your Bible But first, I want to point to you the target that we're aiming at today. There's this passage in John's Gospel. John chapter 10, verse 10. If you're looking to memorize a verse today, this is a brilliant verse to memorize. It says this, the thief, this is our ancient adversary, the devil, the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus, and when he's speaking here, says, but I have come that you might have life. And have it to the full. Pleasure. We have to be careful how we look at pleasure. Because God created a good world. And God created us with good desires to explore his good world. But along the way, back in the Garden of Eden, it got twisted up. Part of the perversion that has come is that we don't chase satisfaction that comes from a desire to honor God anymore But ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been pursuing pleasure for our own enjoyment. And as the writer of Ecclesiastes suggests, when we seek not to honor God, but to honor our own desires, that leaves us lacking. It leaves us wanting. So today, the goal, the goal is to recapture pleasure. Not for us, but rather for God. Our world has twisted this idea, and we're asking the question, how can we redeem this? How can we find fullness? How can we find joy in life? Right now, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I hope you do bring your Bible with you to church this whole series. We're going to camp out most of each week in the book of Ecclesiastes. So bring your Bible with you, or maybe bring it on a smartphone if you've got an app on your phone. That's cool as well. If you don't have either with you today, up and underneath the seat in front of you is a Bible there. Go ahead and pull that out. I'm on page 663 of that particular Bible, page 663. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Here we go. The writer says, I thought in my heart. I says to myself, self, this is kind of autobiographical here. He's talking to himself. He's thinking out loud. He's describing the condition of his own heart. Come now, I will test you with pleasure. There's our word. That's what we're talking about. To find out what is good. Last week we talked about the difference between viewing the world under the sun and above the sun. Under the sun, this is human perspective. Above the sun, this is God's perspective. 
All through the book, he comes back to that. But that, this idea of testing pleasure, that proved to be meaningless. We talked about this word last week. How many of you thought about an escalator sometime this past week? The idea of running up an escalator, the world's tallest escalator, you can run up it, but you can't get to the top of it. That's this word, meaningless. Laughter, I said. It's foolish. How's that for a pick-me-up on a Sunday morning? And what does pleasure accomplish? Well, I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly. By the way, that's a cyclical way of viewing life, right? If you drink a gallon of this, that's going to lead to folly. And that right there, then you've got regrets, and that leads you back to dulling the pain with some more of this. The writer talks about this. He says, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. By the way, I think that's denial. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. I wanted to see what was worthless for, or worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Again, from a man-centric focus, a human-centric focus. This is all I've got. These few days of my life, I better fill it up with as much pleasure as I can get my hands on. I undertook great projects, and we see, oh my goodness, does he have a pleasure resume? Check this out. He says, I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. Nice stuff. We all want to live in the nice cul-de-sac in the nice neighborhood and have a beautiful backyard. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. By the way, if the writer of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, and it's my opinion that it is, he had the resources to do this and to do it well. Actually, I've walked through his palace, and you can see it. 3,000 years ago, they've uncovered the archaeology. They've dug it up, and you can just kind of, if you close your eyes, you can imagine what it might have been like 3,000 years ago. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves. You have to have people to tend all of this work, right? And I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I had stuff. He was rolling deep. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers. He had the best comedians. He had the best uh, entertainers of the day. And a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. Does that, does that mean what I think it means? Yeah. Kids, ask your mom. Or ask your dad. Your dad can answer that question as well. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing. My eyes desired. I went after all of it. I refused my heart. No, there's our word, pleasure. My heart took, took, took delight in my work. And, in, and, and this was the reward for all my labor. So in other words, under the sun, my reward is simply that momentary delight that I feel in pleasure. Yet... When I took a step back, when I examined what my life really was, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, this is what I'm left with. Everything was meaningless. Trying to sprint up a down escalator, then I can't reach the top. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. From a human perspective, this pleasure thing, chasing after pleasure, it just, well, it just ain't working. 
He concludes there, not by examining life, not by engaging God in the conversation in that moment, but simply asking what can man, what can woman, what can human beings achieve under the sun? I want to share with you today a series of pleasure principles. The first five are human-centric. The the last three are God-centric. The first five, by the way, well, it's what we're tempted to do and, oh, we get good at it. The last three, well, it's what God has designed us to do. Guess where we should be aiming? Not the first five, but the last three. If you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, pleasure defined by human justification is worthless. Pleasure, chasing after pleasure, human justification, well, this yields, well, worthlessness. It's not really, it has no value. He said in verse 2, laughter. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly, and my mind, by the way, is still guiding me with wisdom. This, This right here, Doesn't that just sound like justification? If the writer is uh, of Ecclesiastes is Solomon, and I think it is, he he went uh, before God and he asked for wisdom, and God said, hey, because you asked for wisdom, I'm also going to give you wealth. And so he had all of the resources at his disposal to chase after pleasure, wealth, and wisdom. And he said, in the middle of all this, I still have my wisdom, maybe, I think he's justifying. Drink a gallon of this, it's going to lead to folly. But I still, I have my wits about me, right? This is poetic justification. It's poetic, but it's still justification. By the way, if you have to justify behavior in your life, that might be a red flag that you're crossing over into dangerous territory. You know what justification is, right? If you're a parent, I bet you've heard this at some point. Everybody's doing it. Everybody is doing it, right? And what did your parents, what did your grandparents say when you said that? Well, if everybody was jumping off a cliff, would you follow behind them? It's like we have this generational uh, idea of a bunch of lemmings jumping off the cliff one after the other. Everybody's doing it. This is justification, Or how about this one? Well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I drank a gallon of wine, but they drank two. It led to folly in my life, but oh my goodness, you should have seen them blitzed at the party. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or how about this one? This is also justification. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know that that would lead to folly. Really? You drink a fifth of Jack and you climb into the car with the keys That's going to lead to all kinds of destruction in your life, isn't it? I didn't know. I don't know if I'm buying that, but this is justification. Anytime you hear or you tell yourself one of these, we have to recognize that we've just wandered into the realm of justification. And according to the writer of Ecclesiastes, it's worthless. Number two, pleasure principle. Number two, pleasure determined by human coveting is empty. That's an empty kind of pleasure. Lusting after what others have, well, those pleasures will be empty. They will become hollow. What did he say? He said, I have owned more herds and flocks than anybody in Jerusalem before me. I've got it all. I amassed silver and gold for myself. I'm rolling deep. And the treasure of kings and provinces, I acquired men and women singers, right? 
and a harem as well. Ask your mom and your dad. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. What's he doing there with that last line? He's comparing himself. And his comparison is not with anything that God is offering. He's saying, I'm doing my best to be better than the Joneses down the street. I'm sure that nobody here is is guilty of this. Certainly not your pastor, who just yesterday was reading through his sermon materials to preach this sermon, and I looked out my window and I see that the neighbor has gotten one of those new battery-operated lawnmowers. It gets worse. I already own one. But mine's five or six years old, you see, and he's got the new technology. Oh, I want that. I covet that. What do we say? Pleasure determined by human coveting. It's empty. It's vacuous. This is under the sun. This is living under the sun without God. But if we can peek at above the sun, this kind of thinking. Every once in a while in Scripture, we see this kind of wisdom leak through. I love the book of Philippians in your New Testament. Oh my goodness, you guys, Paul is writing this from a Roman jail cell. He has nothing. It's above the sun thinking that allows him to say this, not below the sun, not under, but above the sun. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this. How? Through my own might. Through my ability to roll my sleeves up and lean into hard work under the sun. No, 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 no. I can do this with above the sun thinking through him, Jesus, who gives me strength. Number three. uh, pleasure principle under the sun thinking here is uh, well it's delivered by human toiling it's fleeting pleasure that we get by working hard it does not last long I was uh, looking at my truck the other day I have a Ford F-150 pickup truck. Don and I, years ago, we took the Dave Ramsey method to heart, and we stopped paying the bank for the privilege of driving a car. And uh, we started saving up money to buy the next vehicle. And so I had this chunk of money about five, six years ago, and it was time to get a new truck because my old truck was rusting out. And I had this money saved up, and I had this amount, and so I started going on the hunt. And it took me about two years to find my truck. You talk about work, hard work. I kept looking. I'd show up at a place and look at it, and they wanted too much or it was not enough truck that I wanted. And so finally, this amount of money that I had saved up matched the caliber of truck that I could buy, and I got a deal, a smoking deal. It was awesome for about a month, Right? You know this, you've bought a new car. You, you, kids, you can't eat here in the vehicle. Actually, kids, you can't even ride in my car. I'm going to need you to stay at home. This is me and mine to drive now, right? I mean, I worked hard for this. I want to take good care of it. You know how that works. After about a half, oh, I don't know, 30 days, maybe two months, we're eating in the car, we're doing whatever. Because pleasure der- der- delivered by human toiling is fleeting. By the way, I just looked at that truck the other day. It's starting to rust out as well. They just don't last, right? I was reading the newspaper this past week. The Indy Star was talking about this. The the housing market is just red hot right here, right? Like you list a house and it's going to sell the next day. There's a house that was listed in January, $14 million in Indianapolis. $14 million. The lady who owned it, I didn't know her, but I understand she had a philanthropist's heart 
And uh, I think she started a cool not-for-profit, and she was investing in some cool things. But she had this house that she had built that apparently she just couldn't sell it because nobody wants a $14 million house. I guess if you're going to, if you can afford to build a $14 million house, you want to build your own. Here's a picture of it. This is pretty cool. That's the aerial shot from this direction. I could see myself there, right? Then look at it from the, the, the lake direction. Check this out. Isn't that beautiful? Here's the article that was shared. It was sold not to a person, but apparently Restoration Hardware just bought it, and they're going to set up some kind of a place there that's an experience, a place you can come in and eat food and pick out uh, uh, things that you're going to put in your own house. In other words, who wants a $14 million house? Maybe not an individual. Pleasure delivered by human toiling is fleeting. You can put all that energy into this incredible thing, but at the end of the day, what one person wants that? What did the writer of Ecclesiastes say? My heart took delight in all my work, and this is the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed what my hands had done, when I stepped back and I looked, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Listen, pleasure delivered by human toiling is fleeting. You work so hard for it, and it's just got to slip through your fingers. Here's the human flaw. Does pleasure feel good in the moment? When you're buying that new vehicle, when you're building that new house, does it feel good? Yeah, unfortunately it does, but you get it done. Congratulations, you won. You've got the biggest house. You've got the best vehicle, but now what? You ever build a sandcastle? This beautiful structure, you get it all just the way you want it, and then you go to lunch and you come back and the tides come in and it's, it's gone. Life is a bit like that, isn't it? In Hebrews chapter 11, I love this faith chapter. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy, here's our word, the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's temporary. It doesn't last. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. This is so interesting for me to think about, and this is a distraction. I'm going on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. This has nothing to do with pleasure, but I think it's interesting. There's a word, a fancy word. Theophany is when you see Jesus in the Old Testament. This is written about 1,400 years after Moses. Right? About 1,400 years before Jesus came to do his redemptive work on the earth. And the writer here is looking backwards at Moses and saying 1,400 years before Jesus came, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. He's doing this for Jesus because he's thinking about eternity instead. If you were in Egypt at this time, he gave up the fancy foods at the table. You know who had the fanciest foods in Egypt during that time? Pharaoh. Pharaoh's table had to be amazing, the food to eat. We're going to turn the corner here to this next pleasure principle. While we do, can I just encourage you that pleasure, the temporary pleasure, is not what we should be aiming at. Rather, we should be aiming at lasting pleasure. That's what that verse just hints at. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. When I was a kid, I had a bit of a sugar issue. By the way, I still have a sugar issue. Actually, I'm a glutton. 
I don't mean that funny. I'm not being flippant. I mean it's true. I'm, I'm a glutton. I chase after my stomach. What's that passage that says their gods are their stomach? I'm just looking for a little bit of mouth pleasure, right? And this started when I was a child. Um, what do they say about uh, if you're an alcoholic, you can be in recovery for 30 years, but you're still an alcoholic? I think I'm a glutton. And by the time I got into my 30s, I think it had caught up with me, and I'm just looking for, you know, to dull the pain with some food or maybe chasing some mouth pleasure. When I was a kid, I remember hanging out with my, my buddy Chad Farwell in the basement, his house, sleepover. Super Mario Brothers, we had just saved the princess three or four times, right? We've run out of things to do, and so we get on our skateboards, and we are going around town in my hometown, and I bought this giant bag of Skittles, like giant. And we came home, and we ate the whole bag, start to finish. I think the uh, marketing campaign during that time for Skittles was Taste the Rainbow. I have it on good authority. It doesn't taste as well coming back up. I don't know if you have ever puked in Technicolor before, but uh, I do not. I do not recommend it. Remember, we live in a world that has us deceived. Those things that we think will satisfy, they will not. They can actually make us sick. The more we indulge in the things of the earth, the more we discover that they've fallen under God's curse because of sin. You guys have been praying, many of you, for our son Micah. He had a horrible car accident several weeks ago, and we were in the hospital for a while. Praise God, he's doing well. He's back to school down in, at Bloomington at IU. He's going after his finals and trying to wrap up the semester well. We're so, so grateful. During that season, we we're so grateful for our church family because many of you, you were bringing us food, and it was amazing. Some of you are incredible cooks. I have a sweet tooth. Turns out I'm a bit lactose intolerant as well. One of you made this just, just amazing dish. It was awesome. I loved it. And I kept going back for more. What's that verse in uh, Proverbs? Like a dog returns to its own vomit. I'm not calling your food vomit. It was awesome. I'm calling my just chasing after pleasure, just a little bit of mouth pleasure. It's not healthy. It's a sickness. That night was not great. I mentioned I'm a bit lactose intolerant. I think there was a little something in there. I was up all night, and it was not, it was not good. Pleasure is fleeting. I'm left to pay the bill, the consequence. Perhaps you can relate to that. Number four is, we're going to find this in chapter 6, the fourth pleasure principle. If you want to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, beginning with verse 7. Check this out. All man's efforts are for his mouth. Skittles something that's got lactose in it. Yet his appetite is never satisfied. I want more, I want more, I want more. Like a dog returns to its own vomit. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? What does a poor man gain by knowing how to conduct himself before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Isn't this interesting? The poor man... The wise man, the rich man, what does the poor man want? He wants what the rich man has, right? So he leans into toil, he leans into work, he leans into whatever is going to get him there because he wants that pleasure in life. But this verse is saying, better maybe that he's window shopping than he actually gets that. The poor man is no better off when he gets the thing than the rich man. 
Number four, pleasure dictated by human cravings will never satisfy. I mean, we chase after these things, and when we get them, they don't even satisfy us. This past week, I got to go hunting down in southern uh, Indiana. I've been going down to that same spot about 10 years now, maybe two, three, four times a year, about 10 years. And I swear to you, there's this house. They're different dogs. It's always two dogs. When I first started driving past there, it was like two chocolate labs, and then it was two black labs, and then I think it was a chocolate and a black, and now it's like two mongrel dogs. And every time I drive past this house out in the country, I've got the window rolled down. Why? Because it's fresh country air, and you want that. I hear this, and I look over these two dumb dogs, start chasing my truck. I saw this political cartoon this last week. What happens if the dog actually catches the truck, right? Now what? And I think sometimes if I just slam on the brakes and he kind of bites it on the bumper, what's he going to do if he actually catches the truck? Now, before we poke too much fun at those dumb dogs, and they are dumb, that's the condition of the human heart as well, isn't it? We want, we want, we crave, and then even when we get it, we discover that doesn't satisfy. Our hearts are leaky buckets, Fill it up, and it just leaks right out. Verse 7, all man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. Now, it's easy to make this about food, Skittles, or things that have lactose in them. But what about other sins of the eyes? Things like pornography. Things about, like, maybe lust. Maybe things that you see and you want, and you just desire to put that into your life. Or maybe other sins of the mouth, like Like gossip, oh, there's a juicy morsel that I want. I want to hear that, that feeds or fuels something that's lacking in my heart, and so I'm going to chase more of that. All man's efforts are for his mouth, yet his appetite is never satisfied. When your pleasures are dictated by your cravings, you're bringing things into your life that never satisfy. Number five, pleasure deceived by human lusts will only bring regret. Turn, if you would, to uh, chapter 7, verse 26. And as you do that, let me remind you of what he said back in chapter 2. He said, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women, singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. Ask your parents what that's all about. I mean, by the way, the author here is a man. This is not gender-specific, what we're getting ready to read. He's writing it from a male perspective, but you could flip it from the female perspective, I'm sure, as well. This is what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 26. I find more bitter than death. That's a strong statement, isn't it? I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, whose heart is a trap, and whose hands... Are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. The Bible has an awful lot to say about traps, actually. You could do a study of this. Oh, it's like uh, 90 times in your Bible. There are two Greek words in the New Testament that refer to a, a trap, a snare, like a net. A net that you'd use in hunting to throw over uh, birds. 
In the Old Testament, I believe there's 16 different words that describe this act of trying to catch an animal. And it's comparing it to the condition of the human heart and the pleasures that we're seeking to chase, including sexual sin. I was uh, visiting one of my boys on a college campus this last week. And uh, I couldn't help but notice that spring has sprung, and with it, spring fashions, right? And I don't know, I was a youth minister for like 12 years, and so I used to give this talk quite often. And uh, let me be careful here. Some of you, this makes you really nervous. Notice my fingers are on the outside of that trap. That's for good reason. The trap is set. Fashion. I used to give this talk to teens all the time. Be careful what you're fishing for. The bait you use to catch. If I'm fishing for a pretty sunfish, maybe I'm going to use a worm, maybe a bass. I'm going to fish with a lure. If I want to catch a bottom, bottom dweller fish like a catfish, use something like stink bait. I was thinking about that as I was driving around campus and I was seeing the bait was being put out there, the clothing that was being worn. He's talking about desire here. I mean, we have this human desire. We're seeking after pleasure. Find the person that takes your breath away. Listen, if we're operating from our lusts, it's like a bear trap just waiting to be sprung. You take one more step and clamp, you're stuck. This takes us back to the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, there's, there's two trees standing in the middle of it. One's the tree of life, the other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and man was to live by the tree of life, but he wasn't to touch the other tree or he would die. God never said, don't eat this tree because it's poisonous, it's bad fruit. Well, why was it forbidden? Why does it lead to death? Number one, because God said so. Number two, because pleasure needs to be defined by seeking him. Not by following our own deceiving lusts. But what did our first parents do? Well, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And the trap is sprung. And the rhythm of chasing after sinful pleasures and getting caught in the trap it becomes a generation cycle that you and I still live downstream from. Here's the question. What if we were designed to enjoy life not by chasing after our own desires, our own pleasure, but what if we were designed to enjoy life by pleasing God? What if? What if pleasure comes not from what we do for us and the trap is sprung, but rather what we do for God. Real quick, I want to share with you the last three pleasure principles. These are the God-centric ones. These are the ones we're really called to aim at. Turn, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7. Look at this. He's wrestling through all of these thinking, this thoughts. He's getting toward the end of his writing. He says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now, that's an important word we're going to look at, that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. 
This would have made all kinds of sense to people 3,000 years ago. We're going to have to interpret a bit today. Let's keep reading. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave, where you're going, there's neither working nor planning nor knowledge or wisdom. Under the sun versus above the sun. It's not about pleasing ourselves. That's under the sun thinking. Thinking with eternity in mind is viewing even pleasure through the lens of what's about pleasing God. These are God-centric. Here's our application. Number one. Enjoy life by pleasing God, by living in the moment with godly character. And if we do that, we can avoid the trap of the temporary under-the-sun pleasures. Have you ever seen the movie A Christmas Story? Remember that, that moment where Scrooge looks through the window at Tiny Tim, and my goodness, this kid has nothing for pleasure, right? He's got a disability. His family has no money, but he looks through, and he sees them laughing and enjoying Christmas Eve. Why? Because they're living in the moment godly character. Verse 7, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Now, live in the moment with godly character. Under the sun, Versus above the sun, remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation because I've learned to peek above the clouds and see above the sun thinking. Godly character gives enjoyment in the moment of everyday life. Number two, by living according to his design, Right? We're uh, going to enjoy life by pleasing God, not just by living in the moment with godly character, but by living according to his design, what he designed us for. And the writer calls out two specific areas. He talks about relationships, and he talks about your calling. Let me point them out to you. Relationships, verse 9, he says, enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. There's some action that's displayed there. Who loves you love. Who commands you to love your wife? God does. God commands you to love your wife. And it's active, not passive. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 in the New Testament, it says this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It's active. Put some work into it. Maybe you wash the dishes yourself and you do it for her living according to his design. This is how you find pleasure, even under the sun, by living with above the sun thinking. It also works to your calling. Verse 10 said, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. When you take the field, you put 110% effort there. When you leave it all on the court, you leave it all on the field. In your exhaustion to give it all, you'll find enjoyment in life when you do it for God, according to his design. And last but not least, we find enjoyment, we find pleasing God, enjoying life by living as one clothed in Jesus. That sounds churchy, that sounds kind of wordy, but it's right here in the text. By living as one clothed in Jesus. Verse 8 said, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. 
white is a metaphor in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, as one who's living reconciled to God. White clothes, you're putting on your best. You're doing your hair, putting oil in your hair, and you're going to go out to a nice place, to a party, and you're doing this for God. I could show you a whole bunch of passages of Scripture that pull out this idea of white and what it represents, this life reconciled to God. Let me show you real quick three. Here's one in in Isaiah chapter 1. Check this out. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though these traps are designed to ensnare, they shall be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they'll be like white wool. That's where you're supposed to live. That's how you're supposed to do it. Revelation chapter 7, check this out. The end of the book. After I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, language, and and people, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes. They're wearing white robes. It's this symbol of people reconciled to God. In Romans chapter 13, check this out, verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here, so let us put aside the deeds of darkness, these traps, and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies. That's a trap that's going to ensnare you. Drunkenness, that's a trap that's seeking after a little bit of pleasure that's going to ensnare you and trap you. Not in sexual immorality, debauchery, that's a fancy word for the same kinds of sins. Not in dissension, that's a trap. Jealousy, that's a pleasure trap. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. So when the world sees you, they see him on you. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What if pleasure comes not from what we do for us, but rather what we do for God? Let's put them all up there together. Enjoy life by pleasing God. Living in the moment. Living according to his design. Literally clothed in Jesus. What if? What if that's what we're aiming at? What if that's even under the sun, that's really what we can live for? Isn't that better? Isn't that better than all of the traps? All of the pleasure that you can chase after? It really is just designed to ensnare you. Would you stand up with me? I would invite you right now to think through your next week. Is there something? A pleasure principle, I suppose. Is there something that maybe it's on your calendar or you've pre-planned to do or maybe if you're not careful, you're just going to fall into that trap. But is there something that you could be intentional about right now? Don't chase after that. It's a trap. Death and destruction follows you there. Brother, you could aim here. You could exchange this for that. I'm going to pray for us toward that end here in just a moment. But if you came today and you've got a decision you want to make for God, 
Pastor Tony's going to be hanging out under the cross. He'd love nothing more than encourage you and pray for you and walk with you and get you started on that journey. If you're a guest today, oh, I sure hope that you'll join us out here in the lobby at Starting Point. We'd love to tell you why we love our church and to answer your questions about who we are and what we're doing. And all of us, I hope you plan to join us. You're a part of every week, the next several weeks as we continue through this series. Let me tell you what the month of May holds for us. Next week is Mother's Day. Dads, kids, you're welcome. Actually, moms, you're welcome for that reminder. Next week is Mother's Day. And uh, we're also going to do some child dedications on that day. It's going to be a fun celebration. Don't miss next week. The following week, we're going to be doing something cool. It's called a Preschool Recognition Sunday. We've got this incredible ministry down the hall during the week. And many of those families are going to join us that weekend. And we're going to celebrate them and talk about what God is doing in and through them. And so don't miss that week. Then the following week is going to be our Graduate Recognition Sunday month. The month of May is packed. We're going to end that uh, month, uh, the last uh, Sunday of the month, the 29th. We're going to do, back by popular demand, we're going to do a, a worship on the lawn that day. So maybe there's somebody inside your sphere of influence. That'll be a friend event. You can invite them to join us and to be a part of that. That'll be a fun time together. We'll talk more about all of those things in the days and weeks and months to come. What are you going to exchange? This for that. Let me pray for us. God, as we leave this space, as we head out into the world that you call us to live in this week, God, I pray against traps, pleasure, snares. I pray for a life with God. I pray for above the sun thinking. We exchange this for that. And we do it as an act of worship and because it's really better for us to live that way. That's what you designed us for. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, Venture. Have a great week. We'll see you back again next Sunday.